0: Margaret Sheridan, born 1889, died 1958. Margaret Sheridan was born in the west of Ireland and spent her childhood and young womanhood in the Dominican Convent School in Eccles Street, Dublin, where she received her first musical training. She was the only Irish soprano to gain recognition by the whole of Italy during this century, and yet she sang in opera for barely ten years. Then she stopped singing at the peak of her career, stopped for reasons that are very unusual, but at the same time very human and understandable. During her singing career a plaque was put up in her honour in the Scala. Parma and Bologna put up inscriptions and Cremona gave her the Stavario medal. Years ago in a radio programme from this station she spoke about her life.
1: When I look back I wonder if I'm deceiving myself. Did I see this, achieve that and meet all these people?
0: The old voice remembering, and the voice remembered. Margaret Sheridan, as she was then, or Peggy, or Maggie, Margarita came later in Italy. Margaret Sheridan was born in a small town in the west of Ireland. Her father was the postmaster. She was orphaned at an early age and was brought up in a Dublin convent. And there, in a moment of great unhappiness, when her friendless position had been cruelly brought home to her, she had a sort of vision of herself singing before a silver organ standing at the top of a great green staircase banked with malmaison carnations and years later when she'd been sent to london for training it all came true it was the start of her public career
1: well i saw it all again in reality at a great reception given by lord and lady howard de warden in london but i must take you back a little you see Nothing has been known like the society and entertainments of those days, even lasting well into the first war. There was a brilliance, an utter disregard for money, a richness, and at the same time the highest possible level of intelligence and wit. You get it all in wild, and if you don't understand what I mean, well, then I never can explain it to you. But it will never, never be seen again. Two wars brought it to an end. Luxury living is over. But there, in this wonderful house in Belgrave Square, was the entertainment of the season. Everybody was there. The famous green staircase was banked with Malmaison carnations. There was a silver organ at the top, just as I'd seen it, and a small orchestra. And singing to it with everyone in town
0: listening was Maggie from Mayo. Maggie, or Maggie from Mayo. Sheridan always saw herself as the girl who had come from the west of Ireland. And there was someone in the audience who was partly Irish, who had an Irish wife, who knew Ireland, and who loved music. He was Marconi. But Marconi saw through all the glitter and artificiality of the reception and had the Irish singer presented to him.
1: And then Marconi began to tell me what I had started to guess secretly. I'd had an easy success. I was at the top of everything as far as singing to fashionable audiences went. That wasn't enough. I knew that. I was at a dead end. I'd started at the top and I could go no further in these surroundings.
0: But Marconi knew where she could really make a beginning and their way led them across the English Channel in 1914 with submarines menacing the steamer, and across France, invaded in the north, and then to Rome. It was decided that she should go to see Martino, first repetiteur of the Teatro Reale, and he should pronounce on her voice. So, one day, Sheridan, Marconi, Tosti, and some friends went off together to see the great man.
1: And that was a day. It was a little house in Via Sistina and Martino kept us waiting for 15 minutes. Kept Marconi waiting. Of course, you'd need to have been in Rome in these days, in that atmosphere, to realize what that meant, to keep Marconi waiting. There we sat for 15 minutes in a little room, while Martino finished with his previous pupil, who might have been anyone from Gigli, Lauri Volpi, Totti Del Monte, anybody, And then, we went into his studio. I knew the game was up. Maggie from Mayo was going to hear the truth at last. Everyone sat down, and the genius from Ireland began to sing. And after that, there was a silence, a shrieking silence, not a sound. It was Marconi himself who had to speak first. Think of that. One of the greatest and the most influential men in Italy
0: had to ask the question. Marconi's question was, isn't it the most amazingly beautiful voice a real discovery? Martino's reply was cautious and therefore unexpected. He said that it depended on what Signorina Sheridan had come to Rome to do, to sing or to learn to sing. If she'd come to learn, then maybe he would agree with Marconi when she had learned. But if she'd just come to sing, well, that would be quite a different matter.
1: Of course, we all flounced out, and we went back to the hotel at Chelsea, where Marconi had a party waiting to celebrate Margarita's astounding success, to hear the wonderful future predicted for her. I went to bed and stayed there. And then the telephone bell rang. To my great surprise, it was Martino himself. We talked in terrible French because I knew no Italian then, except for a few phrases I'd have been better without.
0: Martino told her what he hadn't been able to say in the presence of her distinguished patrons. She had a voice, but she didn't know how to use it. What had she done, he asked musically, to deserve her luxurious surroundings? If he was to accept her as a pupil, she would have to move away to some small hotel and take up the life of a serious student.
1: Yes, you can describe it as the easygoing, rather carefree life of the artist. But what a life! You can sing la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la, la la coo 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 all day long. But that's not going to get you anywhere, unless you can absorb what's going on around you. It isn't what you learn in the studio or how many scales and exercises you do. It's very good for you to learn scales and exercises. But it's not in the studio that you learn the real secrets of success in opera. It's in the communal life of the artists, in the becoming absorbed in music, in thinking, thinking music, exchanging ideas, hating, loving, feeling, feeling, absorbing, living completely.
0: Her hotel backed onto the opera house, and she used to practice every day with her windows open, perhaps because of the climate, but more likely by design because Emma Carelli, the directrice of the opera, was within earshot. And she heard her. She was sent for.
1: Well, she had a flat in the opera house, just opposite my own little balcony. And I used to watch her, watering her flowers, feeding her pigeons, or talking to her dog, Bello. I often wondered if I'd ever meet her, and now she had sent for me. What could she want? Had I been discovered hiding in the wings? Well, I started to dress for the occasion. And in those days, one did dress. It wasn't just a matter of flinging on any old thing. I put on my very best. Everything was white, I remember. I had a lovely pair of white-laced boots. I had to lace up about 150 eyelids. And then I set out for the office. I was shown in at once. There she sat at her table writing. She looked old and saddened and disappointed, as I believe she was. But she was La Carelli, the great and terrible Carelli, with a whole history of singing behind her. Carelli, before whom all operatic Rome trembled.
0: Carelli began by deriding her for trying to learn to sing in opera, like all the rest of the English. Sheridan said she was Irish. Carelli said it was the same thing, except that the Irish were more troublesome. But eventually Carelli had to tell her the purpose of her summons. She'd heard her voice coming across from the hotel as she practised. Unexpectedly, she found herself in need of someone to sing Mimi at four days' notice. Would she do it? But while the amazed Margarita was accepting her teacher, Martino, entered the room. Being attached to the opera house, he knew what was in Carelli's mind. He also knew that his pupil's voice was not yet ready for big roles. The argument was in Italian, which Sheridan didn't yet speak, and Carelli had to translate after Martino had stormed out. She ended by saying, either you can sing now or you'll never be able to sing. And then, softening a little, she spoke the proverb... The Sheridan never forgot Il Bondi si vede dal Martino. She'd heard her beginnings, and from that she could divine her future.
1: And so I learned to impersonate Mimi in four days. I knew the part, though I'd never appeared in it or in anything else. I had no experience of the stage at all. Carelli gave me every entrance, every movement, and every phrase. This cruel, ugly woman who had created Zadzar, Iris, yes, and Tosca, seemed to become warm and simple and almost beautiful. She became Mimi, and she inspired me to become Mimi. She taught me. She took me all through the part, word for word and note for note, and she fed me on
0: bonbons. It was a tremendous success. The critics were entranced by this new singer. But Margarita Sheridan was not to be allowed to enjoy the applause completely.
1: Because while we were taking our curtains, I saw a head and shoulders in the prompter's box over the footlights. It was Maestro Martino. Martino, with the tears streaming down his face.
0: Martino who knew that he was going to lose his beloved pupil to an operatic career for which, he thought, her voice was not ready. That's what he shouted at her across the footlights. He said, the applause marked her doom. This Irish singer had travelled a long distance to reach success in Rome, and it had taken her a long time for on this night of her first appearance in 1919, she was already 30. And now the pattern of her operatic future was made plain. Now the demon that always urged her on was seen. She'd left fashionable London, where she was fated everywhere, for Rome. She left Roman society against Marconi's wishes to be taught by Martino. She left Martino, who loved his pupil, for Carrelle and her debut in La Boheme. But she left Carelli, and that was to be the shape of her career. When dazzling success was to be had, she achieved it and passed on without reflection or rest. And those are the days she relived for nearly 30 years in Dublin. That's what she talked about over and over again, until those times and the artists of those days became more real to her than her present surroundings. Who are these people, she'd say, of an opera company visiting Dublin? Her mind, 30 and more years back in Italy. After her first success, she threw Carelli aside and accepted a London offer to sing Mimi in Covent Garden.
1: What a cast that was. Martinelli was Rodolfo. San Marco sang Marcello. Vanni Marcoux was Colline. And Pini Corsi was Benoit, the Landlord. There were four kings in the audience that night and there were certainly four kings on the stage. Some years afterwards there was a gala performance of Bohem given by command of King George V. He remembered me and indicated his wish that I should again appear as Mimi. I was presented to him. And he asked me how I had obtained such fluency in Italian and such success at the Scala, being an English girl. And I told him that it was probably because I was Irish.
0: But that happened in the 1920s, when she was well established as a singer and enjoying her fame. The roles she sang show how highly thought of she was. Toscanini chose her to sing Vali. She created Mascagni's Iris in London, with Mugnone conducting and producing. For London, she created Loretta in Giannischiki, and she created, for the world, Candide in Respighi's Belfago. She had a wonderful success in Bohème and in Andrea Chene. She was Puccini's ideal Mano Lesko, a most moving lieu in Turandot, a never-forgotten San and Butterfly, and a famous Anna Maria in Recitelli's recently-revived Di Compagnacci. Her success at the Scala became a legend, and at the San Carlo, and wherever she went. Beloved and followed through the whole of Italy, still remembered by the Conoscenti, and then, after ten years, silence. Why? She retired to Ireland and became the centre of operatic thought and activity but without singing herself. During these years she made many friends, and one of the people she turned to, one of the few in whom she confided, was the conductor of one of the radio orchestras, Dermot O'Hara.
2: According to what she told me, she was not fully vocally equipped to tackle all those big roles such as Butterfly and Mimi, And so forth having sung mostly on that very big voice of hers and relying on it for about nine or ten years the voice shortened and the top notes went she couldn't stand this and she retired from the operatic stage now She had plenty of voice left. She could have become a great concert artist. Perhaps. I don't know. It puzzled a great many people why so wonderful a singer and so beautiful a woman should close her career so suddenly. I felt for a long time that she had made a mistake in in doing this. But it took me some time to realise that she was not mentally, shall we say, equipped for lead or singing or concert work. She needed the glamour of the operatic stage, the accompaniment of a large orchestra. She was a very nervous woman, and I could never imagine her standing still by a piano, just singing, leader and operatic arias on the concert platform
0: outside the splendid and shatteringly moving operatic roles there was no musical life for her in her years of retirement she was famous for her intelligence her wit and charm and for the tongue she sometimes used with sharp effect but she was no more outspoken than her fellow artists had been
1: I once deputized for Dame Nellie Melba in London and I got such marvelous notices That she called the newspaper office to ask whether their critic wasn't drunk the night before
0: but though she sometimes estranged people from her they always came back in response to her outrageous wide-eyed plea that nothing whatever had been intended in her words nothing and she talked she talked about the past in Italy to those who would appreciate it to musicians and scholars and also to the very young who were amazed to meet someone who had actually known Toscanini and Puccini. She first met Puccini in Rome.
1: Puccini's son Mario, after seeing my butterfly and reading the very extravagant account in the Milan papers, suggested to his father that he should come to the theatre to hear me and hear this extraordinary new butterfly. And what's more, that he had an idea that the butterfly was none other than his friend Peggy from Rome. Puccini, who loathed hearing his operas distorted and ruined, refused to go. However, he changed his mind on reading the account that this new singer was Irish and had studied in Rome. He came to hear me and after the second act, he came round to my dressing room Pulled back my heavy Japanese wig to satisfy himself that I was his blonde friend from Rome. Que diote benedica. May God bless you, Peggy. Why did you never tell me you were a singer? And remembering how little he thought of the singer's mentality, I said, I didn't want to lose your friendship, maestro, or to embarrass you by wanting your help or patronage in any theatre, before I could stand on my own two feet. Now tell me, what do you think of it? First of all, there's not a dry eye in the theatre, he said. Even the toughest types are in tears. It's an interpretation that's completely new to me. Yours, not mine. It's full of dramatic intensity and childlike appeal. This could never have been learned from anyone. It's the instinct that comes from an old race like the Irish, who are full of dramatic temperament and spiritual vision and have often a tear in their voice.
0: But her greatest reverence was for Toscanini.
1: I think Toscanini was the greatest dictator ever known in the world of opera. He always knew what he wanted and always insisted on getting it. It might not be what you wanted, but you had to do what he wanted or get out. Toscanini realized that the days of the old singer, perfect though her singing line might be, were gone, unless the lines of her figure were harmonious as well so he got rid of all the over-forties from the Scala. He refused to have old women with three chins and four tummies singing about their fatal beauty. (laughs) You know, in Thais, where she says, Dis moi que je suis belle, éternellement. Of course, it's ridiculous. There were a few tenors he determined to make into superb artists, and he really succeeded. Pertilly was the first. There were some magnificent specimens of manhood among the baritones. I don't know why it is that baritones are always so good-looking. But the girls, the prima donna, they were his greatest trial from every point of view. If they had lovely voices, they had no brains. And when they had brains and good looks and voices, then they were almost impossible to put up with. La prima
0: donna,
1: assoluto.
0: In fact, they are Tosca Toscanini. And out Tosca Toscanini is what she did herself. A sensational passage of words in the presence of a whole cast. Yet, when he passed through Ireland a quarter of a century after they'd worked together in Italy, he forgot the quarrel and remembered the singer. But her retirement wasn't a happy one. For though outwardly she'd made the gesture of renouncing singing, She hadn't done so in her heart, and this frustration was combined with her private unhappiness. She went to a voice clinic. She started studying again and studied very hard. But when she was very possibly on the edge of being able to sing again in the Italy that still remembered her, she couldn't bring herself to attempt it and perhaps to risk the whistles of an audience that was angry because her voice was no longer the voice of La Sheridan, In all its freshness, she knew well that present performance was all that counted. Past reputation was nothing. So she was unhappy. She had many things to regret, but she did sing again. It was almost a challenge from a recording company who defied her to do it in order to make her. She did it in Dublin, planting herself before an orchestra so as to make a picture, regardless of the demands of technicians. She did it with every manifestation of the prima donna, her authority,
1: her grandeur, her superbia, her arrogance.
0: And one of the records she made was this, the one that opened this broadcast. Before she allowed these recordings to be sold to the public, she left them with a group of friends for judgment. She went to America, to New York, where she advised on voices for the Metropolitan. It was there that she got a letter saying that her friends didn't consider that the records represented her voice at its best. Back came her cablegram, ''Thanks for the mercy killing.'' But now, it was the evening of the day, whose dawning had indicated by its brilliance a sunshine that couldn't last. Her last years were clouded with ill health. It was a long illness, tragically long for someone who, even in her retirement, had never remained still, whose mind was still warmed by memories of Italy and its opera houses. And there was a quality of the theatre about her hospital room. She'd receive friends there and play them. She played it every day. A record of a broadcast appreciation of her, made by the Marchese Malacrida, who'd heard her singing in Italy in her prime.
3: Quite recently, I met Margaret again in Dublin.
0: Well, Margarita, I said, are you singing?
3: No. Are you teaching? No. Are you making records? No. And why, may I ask? Nerves. No. Nerves. No. No. I don't believe it. You are just being as prima donnaish as ever. Do you think I have forgotten Toscanini and all the others of the Scala? cursing you for your pranks and then invariably, uh, invariably finishing with ah, basta che canti which freely translated means she can do what she damn well like as long as she does sing different times different ways different people answered Margherita, and she was
0: still smiling but a little wistfully. she thought and she talked about her triumphs but modestly and wonderingly and about incidents like how she'd been sent to Eleonora Douze to learn how to act the part of Vallee. She talked of opera houses, her terror before appearing in the Dal Verme, and how she went on to Naples at a time when, in an English prison, Terence McSweeney, the Irish Republican mayor of Cork, was dying on a hunger strike.
1: I was very happy because my butterfly was a success at the Dal Verme. But when I went to the San Carlo of Naples, I was very nervous indeed. While I was there, this great opera house closed as a tribute to Ireland when Terence McSweeney died. The whole Italian public followed his hunger strike hour by hour. His great sacrifice for our national freedom fired the imagination of all Europe, far more than those at home ever dreamed of. On the very day of his death, I was scheduled to sing a gala performance of Butterfly to a packed house. However, even before I had heard the tragic news, an improvised and chalked announcement was written up on the walls of the city of Naples. Margarita non canta stasera. L'hanno mazzato suo compatriota. Viva l'Irlanda. Margarita Sheridan will not sing tonight in Butterfly. They have murdered her great compatriot. Long live Ireland and down with England.
0: In her hospital room, she had a reminder of Butterfly and of Maria Fernetti, who sang Cho San in its first successful presentation. Just as Carelli had helped her to prepare Mimi, so the retired singer taught her the role of butterfly as she had inherited it from Rosina Storchio, taught her the mise-en-scene and all the little movements with head and hand and fan that count so greatly.
1: She did more than that. She gave me all her beautiful costumes. These costumes were indescribably lovely brought from Japan, specially designed for her. I have them still.
0: She had the costume still, yes. Over the screen at the end of her bed hung the butterfly kimono, evoking the final act. A reminder to those who visited her, a reminder to herself, should she ever doubt the past. And there, this woman, who had silenced her voice rather than have her operatic public see her declined into concert tours, there... She recalled the rivalries, the friendships, the triumphs, and the repeated anxieties. For, she said, in Italy, you must remake your reputation every time you appear. You must stand in the wings and tell yourself that this is your first performance, that nothing you have done previously exists. Maybe she thought of that as she lay between life and death, waiting to go on. Waiting to to go on.
1: And on this entry, you deliver all your operatic visiting cards at once.
0: she'd returned to her teacher now and then if she'd touched mother earth then maybe the dawning would have seen a longer day yet it was wonderful to know margaret sheridan in her even time and while the sun shone it had been glorious for her triumph and triumph and triumph
1: Once said to me, Margarita, it would have been very good for you if you'd ever been whistled.